Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. and welcome back to the Dead Prank Club podcast. This week we are joined by radio presenter, best known for her work on Virgin Radio and podcaster Amy Vos. In this episode, Amy tells us her dad's story, Neil, and growing up with him and what happened to her in her life when he passed away from cancer when she was 26. Yeah, Amy's also pregnant. She's about to give birth in seven weeks. So it's interesting as well to hear her talk about going through that experience without her dad. And she also shares some really important wisdom 13 years on from her dad dying, which we think could benefit so many of you listening. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome along to the Dead Parent Club. Amy, thank you so much for joining us on the Dead Parent Club podcast. First off, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, really well. I've just had a bit of a grotty cold, so sorry if I sound a bit nasally, but... um... No, apart from that, I'm, I'm I'm really well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited for this one, Amy, because I know your story is a pretty fascinating one and one that I feel like I'm going to relate to a lot, actually. Can we just start by asking you to tell us about your dad, who he was as a character and your relationship with him growing up? My dad was, uh, my dad was a pilot and wow. he was a very... A very sort of uh, capable man is how I always think of him. Very sort of sharp, very, um, yeah, like he was a lot brighter than any of his, his kids. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he had, I was, I'm the youngest of four, so we're a big family. And I do see a lot of myself in him, but he was, um, yeah, very studious, very sensible, um, but quite highly stressed sometimes. And I do think that's, I do sadly think that contributed to his illness, but I think doing that kind of job and having that kind of responsibility did, um, you know, mean he was like that. You know, he he was very meticulous. He'd always have his exact breakfast things laid out in the morning (laughs) and so organised. And sometimes I'm like, why am I nothing like that? But my mum is polar opposite. So I think that's probably why I (laughs) my mum's genes. But yeah, and he was just that kind of guy who, you know, if I ever had any problem in life, that's the person I called, you know, especially practical or financial or anything in you know heavy my dad would sort it you know he would have the answer and uh he was just yeah a very sort of masculine fit healthy guy like you know he just could do everything and so it was um it was really odd when he got ill but yeah we had we had a really good relationship I just always felt just what you want from your dad I just always felt totally loved he was proud of me whatever I did um you know it's just you couldn't have asked for more really from a dad that's all you want isn't it I remember I read a few bits before we were recording today 
And one bit that I absolutely loved was that your dad would be the first text you'd get in um, into your radio oh, show yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, that was like it. the sweetest thing that I have ever heard. <laughs> what would his text say, Amy? So that was really on early on in my radio career when I started doing my first radio show on a weekend. And, you know, I'd start at six or seven in the morning and he would be the first text. I mean, yeah. Uh, it'd just be like, morning, darling. And, you know, just put something <gasps> sweet. But he was so loyal he would just listen every every time and he was he was just really proud because I think I remember my parents were always mad keen on me being a teacher or something and I was like no I just want to work in radio and (laughs) it it sort of came out of nowhere no one in my family were you know was in the media or anything like that and he was really impressed by it he loved it and he was still excited to hear me every single weekend. So, yeah, he messaged mm. every single show. And I'll never forget the day I found out when he was really ill, when he got his diagnosis, I went home and, and you know, I said, well, I'll take a few days off work. And he said, you will not. You'll go straight back in tomorrow. You'll mm. be fine. You know, the world doesn't stop. And he's just, he was that kind of guy, very ambitious, very driven. And I definitely got that from him. And, uh, yeah, so just so supportive. Can you tell us about that day when you found out? And do you mind just talking us through your dad's illness and ultimately the end of his life? Yeah, it's one of those, without doubt, it must, I think the worst day of my life. I just, I was at work at the radio station and um, my mum had called a couple of weeks before and I was at that stage in my life where I wasn't going home as much. I was having a great time with all my mates living up there, living away from home. And my mum called and went, well, just to let you know, your dad had a scan a couple of weeks ago because they found a shadow on his lung. And I was like, oh, okay. That's, is that, that doesn't sound great. And she was like, oh no, it's probably nothing. It's just, he had this pain in his shoulder for months and he didn't do anything about it. And she said, oh, you know, it's nothing to worry about it. So I don't really think anything of it. And then two weeks later, I was just at work and I'd finished the show and my older brother called me and it, that was a bit weird because my brothers didn't call me a lot on the phone. You know, we, we, we're we a very close family, but we just didn't do phone calls, just, you know, messages, whatever. And he called me and I was like, oh, I was like, hello. And he was, his voice, I've just never heard anything like it. He, you know, my brother's a very alpha male kind of guy and his voice was just sort of shaky. And he was, he just said to me, I've just been to the hospital with dad and They've told him he's got prostate cancer, it's advanced, it's aggressive, and they've given him two years to live. And I was just, I, I, I didn't know what to do. I remember I just went into the toilets and just, I, I just couldn't breathe. I, I think I just said, well, I don't understand. And he was like, he couldn't either. And it was just, you know, like I say, my dad was so fit and, you know, he was 60 did a lot of exercise, you know, he's a pilot. He was just so capable, like, it was just so bizarre. I couldn't get my head around it. And then I just remember thinking I needed to speak to, Sam was my co-presenter at the time and a very good friend. And I I was crying in the toilets and I just thought, I'm very much like, get yourself together, get yourself together. So I walked out and I wanted to find him because I felt like I needed to tell someone at work. And he was in a meeting and I was like, I can't. So I just got, I think I just made an excuse, got in my car and I just drove straight home to Leicester, just sobbing the whole way, thinking I I just couldn't take it in. And when I got home, all my family, you know, we we're a big family, but they'd all just done exactly the same thing and just driven home to my dad to to yeah, my dad's house. 
And, you know, I got there and classic dad, you know, me, my sister, my brothers were just in bits. And my dad was the stoic kind of, we'll be all right. Nope, we'll get through, the, you know, totally calm. Um, just, you know, he was dealing with it and we weren't. I mean, he obviously was, none of us could take it in really. And it was just, uh, I, and then from then on in, it was just a sort of blur. The next few years, it just took over. It just takes over your life, doesn't it? Did your dad deteriorate quite quickly after that or whether it was a really more of a slower kind of yeah. process over those two years where life kind of did carry on? It's interesting because I often debate this because I felt angry that they'd given him a two-year prognosis because I think mentally that is detrimental because if someone tells you you've got two years it's very hard to stay positive and you know we we did after sort of a few days it was like right well dad's going to be one of those statistics of course it's not going to be two years he'll be here in 10 years he's fit he's healthy he's not a regular guy he's going to be absolutely fine and we were very positive and we went straight into you know changing his diet immediately doing all sorts of things and, you know, trying private treatment or, you know, any anything we could really. But unfortunately, they they were accurate. And it was, I mean, it was three years later that he died. But yeah, in those two years, we really did try everything. And, you know, our lives changed immeasurably forever. But I do sometimes think, you know, there would be times, and this was the hardest thing, where I could see he was struggling mentally with it. And, you know, it, it, that was just, we'd all be like positive and, oh, you're going to get through this. But he, you'd see him just staring out the window sometimes. And I just knew, I, I, I could never understand what that must feel like, knowing that you're on a countdown. And I, I, I honestly believe you shouldn't give a prognosis like that because it can't help. I just, uh, you know, it's good to, look, you know, it's advanced, you know, it's aggressive, you know, that's bad news. Let's see what we can do and let's see where we're at, make the most of your life. But to have that that two year mark is dreadful um, because you're just constantly mm. thinking about it. And I'll, I'll never forget my sister, went, just when she was crying, she said, dad's, you know, cause I was only 23 at the time. She was like, dad's not gonna see you get married or have kids. And you know, it's, it's, not, it's, it's an awful thing to say, but it was true. And it was just, that's how you think. You suddenly, it sort of takes away a lot of your hope. And um, yeah, it was three years later, but he really deteriorated the last year. It got to a point, everything we tried, he was getting poorlier and poorlier and um yeah it was it was three years yeah it's bizarre did he have any treatment amy or did he choose not to have treatment in those three years yeah he did so he they didn't do like hardcore chemo you know they didn't do the full which i i think because it was so advanced so it was prostate cancer but it had spread to his lungs um yeah it got into his bones i think uh, so yeah, they never, they never, it was never an option to do full chemo, but what they did do was radiation, radiotherapy, uh, they, and they gave him chemo drugs. So the sort of type where like he didn't lose his hair or anything like that, but he did have horrible side effects where he really swelled up and looked really poorly. And it looked like he was like really puffy and bloated and that really got him down. And, um, it was quite hard to see as well. And he was just, he was in a lot of pain, uh, especially the last sort of 18 months. Um, but he, yeah, he was on a cocktail of drugs the whole time. But it was, he tried a private consultant and and all sorts and tried to get on uh, trials, medical trials for prostate cancer. But there was one he was going, going to go on. And when it came to the time, he was too poorly. 
it was too far gone. Um, so he wasn't eligible, which was devastating, really, because, you know, they, they are advancing all the time. And that and that's the, that was the hardest thing for me is, is just seeing him seeing him ill. It's to see a parent ill, someone who was so, you know, capable, like it was just, yeah, it's devastating. My dad is on um, the tablet chemo at the moment for prostate cancer. And he's on a um, ongoing clinical trial as well. Oh, but wow. he also has the swelling face thing. Mm, and um, and bless him, honestly, the other week, he sent a picture to our family group chat and he actually looked unrecognisable. Really? Like it's it's worse in the morning. He doesn't get it all the time either. He was unwell anyway at that point. So I think it made it worse. But his whole face was, it was like deformed. That was the worst mm. I've seen it. Like he actually looked unrecognisable. It was crazy. And these are all the things that when, you know, mentally you're dealing with a prognosis like that, but then it's all the other stuff on top of it that is mentally exhausting as well. Did you go home a lot more, Amy, then? Obviously, you were pursuing a successful career. Did you, obviously, you carried on with that, I'm guessing, but were you at home more? Did you proactively choose to spend more time? Did you go on more family holidays? What did you do with that time you had? Yeah, I did. I definitely started going home a lot more and was just so conscious of spending time with family and um, and my dad. And, and that's the thing. And it's horrible because you're really wary of that, that everything's oh, the last time you might do something and you want everything to be special and precious. And I remember a couple of Christmases that were just quite frankly miserable. They were so depressing because my dad was just ill. He was in pain and you try and have a good time. But I think it you know, things like Christmas do sort of make it worse. It sort of emphasises, you know, that it might be his last. And it was hard, you know, uh, but I would try and do a lot to spend more time with him. I remember there was a time I was with a terrible boyfriend and he lived up in Newcastle at the time and I spent a lot of weekends with him. And one weekend he was just being a knob. And I just thought, why am I spending my time with you when like, and I remember I just left him, split up with him and I drove straight home and went straight to my dad's instead of going home and just thought that's who I should be spending time with. So I think it sort of puts that, you know, that into perspective quite a bit, but what, what's the prognosis for your dad? If you don't mind me asking, what have they said? Have they given, yeah, anything like that? So they haven't given him a time scale. Then prognosis is terminal because it spreads to his lymph nodes had prostate cancer on and off now for years but yeah so but he's on a he's on like testosterone blocking treatment he was applicable for a clinical trial a few years ago and they kept him kind of on it so that kind of bumped him up the list when he kind of got a worse prognosis this time yeah. um so yeah a bit of a bit of a mixed bag but yeah i will be a platinum member of the dpc oh, <laughs> um but like earlier than i am um, earlier than i anticipated but um but it's one of them. We don't know how long it is. So, but, and honestly, I do think that's the best way because the reality is, is if he's been, you know, because a lot of people, a lot of men do live with prostate cancer for a yeah. very long time. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not. You're probably aware of that. Um, yeah. And uh, you just don't know, do you? Like a clinical trial um, can change anything. Like any. That's what my dad was. He'd try different. I think he had. I know he had a, like a steroid drug. So yeah, probably. That, is that testosterone similar um no what might suddenly work it's just it's one of those isn't it my, my dad describes it as like um, a spring so like as he's having treatment like it springs down but like at any point that spring could just kind of go boom and then it kind of that's kind of what happens mm. a lot with cancer diagnosis isn't it you know things are working and then suddenly out of the blue they're not um 
But how was it for you then when your dad actually died? Obviously, you've mentioned you've got quite a big family. So what was that kind of dynamic like after that happened? Did did you find each other leaning on each other for support? Was it different to what you expected it to be like? Because I think we have this image in our head when we know that someone's going to die. Then how it is afterwards, we're a bit like, oh, (laughs) it's not what I expected at all. Do you you know what? It was weird. So we are a very close family. Um, Like I said, four kids and my mum. And some of the way, I feel bad saying it now because it was obviously strange reactions, but there was some odd reactions. We all reacted quite differently. So, you know, I, you know, me me and my sister would be very upset crying. The boys, the boys would be very upset as well. But, you know, for example, I took three, my work were really good. They gave me three weeks off work immediately. My eldest brother who's a pilot he's a he was a captain at the time for EasyJet. This is, this is really bad but they gave him they gave him one day compassionate leave so he went back to, yeah he went back to work you know after a couple of days I just couldn't believe it um my mum yeah there was like some strange so it's a bit complicated between my parents at the time they were kind of separated so my mum went through a bit of a I remember she'd answer the phone in the kitchen and people would obviously be saying, how are you? And she'd be going, oh, yes, we're all right. Yeah, we're fine. And I would be livid because I'd be like, why are you saying that to people? It sounds weird for a start. And we're not, you know, I'm in bits. And um, I think she reacted to it in a, it must have been very complex for her because they did, they did, they were together for years and had four kids, but towards the end they were technically separated and not living together, and it was complicated. And I think it was very difficult for her to, you know, we're all talking about how amazing dad is, and, and you know, and I think she had this these strange emotions, and you know, ultimately definitely brings you closer together, like a hundred percent. But yeah, people deal with it differently. And that's the really strange thing about grief. Some people just want to crack on. Some people get really angry. I know one of my brothers just would go, yeah, like he he was just really angry for a long time. And, you know, men and women, I know deal, well, everyone deals with it differently. And uh, it, it, it was an odd time. Yeah, it wasn't probably how I expected it. Um, and you have the funeral for me, I found the, you know, the initial bit straight after, because everyone is so wonderful and, you know, our local area, everyone in our community, I just couldn't believe it. It was so amazing to see people come out and pay their respects and, and just, it felt amazing that did. And then the funeral was incredible in terms of the people that showed up, they were spilling out the church. We had a massive, you know, massive wake um which and that was brilliant but for me the hard bit was after that as soon as the funeral's done then it really kicked in because that's when everyone actually just goes back to normal and after a couple of weeks people aren't asking if you're okay anymore and actually you're worse because you're like how am I supposed to navigate work and life that's just happened why is the world not stopped why is everyone just cracking on and that was really tough for me and those first yeah when I look at the way we all behaved it's yeah weird really weird hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Something that I'm intrigued to know is the day itself or the night that your dad passed away. Because I think the three of us, the moment anyone mentions that, you can go right back to that moment. And I think you can remember exactly how you were feeling. I remember, for example, stupid things I did, like I didn't have time to put a pair of knickers on. I just pulled my jeans on and got in the car because we were being driven there. Uncomfortable. But what, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) mum. But what do you remember of kind of that day itself or that night? Oh, it's super memorable for us. It became this, sometimes I feel a bit awful sharing this, but I don't, I honestly feel like my dad's death, you couldn't have wanted a better death. So we went into hospital, I got the call saying, look, dad's deteriorated pretty badly. And when I got to the hospital, I knew it was bad because he'd been given his own room. And I remember walking in there and immediately being really weirded out because they he always wore glasses and they'd taken his glasses off. And I said, no, can you put his glasses on? Because that's, I don't know who that is. It was really strange. It was an odd little thing. And also I was worried that he'd come round and not be able to see properly. And it was a really weird thing I got fixated on. I was like, please leave his glasses on. And I found it really upsetting. And um, basically they said to us, the doctors, we were all there. And they said, look, your dad's, there's nothing more we can do. It's going to be 24, within the next 24 hours, he will pass. And we were like, okay. And so we all sat around his bed me my brothers my sister my mum and that first 24 hours yeah it it was rough but we it it basically 24 hours passed and he was still going another 12 hours passed still going another 12 we got to four days oh god in the hospital room and it got to the point where you get a bit silly and delirious so you know we didn't go home like my mate I remember my mate came and brought me some fresh clothes and toothbrush and stuff but we got a bit to the point where, because when we're the six of us are together, you can get a bit silly. So we'd go from being like really upset and crying to being really silly. And like my <laughs> brother was making, my brother was making signs for the door, like both family keep out. <laughs> and just because you just grow a bit, yeah. you know, yeah. you're not sleeping properly because none of us wanted to miss the moment he, he passed. Mm. So you'd all be sort of sleeping in a, uncomfortable chair and it was honestly like the most bizarre but really moving and actually look I wouldn't want to relive it but as a family I don't think I've ever felt anything like that it was so unique um I mean we were having argue there'd be arguments at some point I mean we're a family of six you know and some of us clash I'm not joking we'd be laughing crying and arguing (laughs) it was ridiculous um and it got to a point because my older sister and uh, brother at the time had kids, they had to go at, in shifts and keep, they had to like go and, you know, help out or whatever. 
And when my dad actually died, it was just me and my brother and his girlfriend in the room at the time because people had to nip home and get or whatever. And, you know, I felt really bad for them because they, they, I mean, they were back within half an hour, but it was, um, we were like, dad, you could have waited to be out of water because you've just done it. And it's just like the three of us. I was just going to say, there's something quite beautiful about how you've just described that moment. I can see it. I hope that he felt that because that kind of is all family emotions condensed Mm -hmm. into this intense environment. And that will have been actually quite nice for him to be a part of that. I can't stop thinking. Somebody needs to make a film that's focused on that last, Mm -hmm. like, day yeah and kind of like the realities of it is in like the laughs the jokes the delirious like the focus on different people and their emotions like you could actually this this could be a great film because (laughs) yeah it would and and amy i've got two brothers i've got a twin brother and an older brother and i totally relate to what you just Mm, said because when we sat around mum's deathbed they were taking the piss out of me for like eating too much chocolate and then we'd laugh together and then they'd take the piss (laughs) out of me and then we'd be crying and then we'd laugh but there is no feeling like that closeness that that brings as a family you are nothing else matters in that moment you are in it and you understand the rawness of the reality that you're met with you can't escape it and you realize what truly matters and it's the people sat amongst you that is exactly it I was going to say the way you say rawness that is it you're just like this is life like this is as tough as it gets but also this is you know this is mad you know I'd have one of my brothers like smuggling red wine in and stuff (laughs) you just like being badly behaved and giggling and then my mum would bring up something so ridiculous. With She'd have an argument with one of my brothers about. But the one thing I did realise is, so when you think you're going to have this super poignant moment, and there were so many moments where I'd be holding dad's hand and kissing his head and sort of saying lovely things, and you think he's going to pass. And the moment he actually passed, I was reading a magazine. Ben, was, my brother was reading a magazine. No one was even looking at him. Aww. It's been four days. We're just <laughs> flicking through a magazine, and my brother just went, oh, my God, Amy. And we looked up, and he'd gone. And it was like, and it was so weird. And it was almost like, you know, I liked, maybe he wanted it to be quiet, you know, less dramatic. He didn't want, yeah, he he just wanted to slip away. What I like to think, but, but also what was really strange is as soon as he'd gone, I was like, oh, he's got, he was so gone. And it's really hard to explain. I'm not a particularly religious person. I do, I'm quite spiritual I suppose uh, it's, I always feel awkward saying that but I do believe in something but my mm-hmm. god like you know they say you've got a soul when he was gone it was, it was a body it could have been anyone that wasn't my dad that was literally a body but he was gone and it was because I remember thinking right well let's go home then because that that's nothing there that is just a physicality and I found that I'll never forget that that was a really odd feeling to know he was there and feeling him in the room and then like that, gone. It was so, I, I could have walked out after two minutes. It, it, it was just really, yeah, it was so powerful and and bizarre. What was 26-year-old Amy like? And then what's Amy like today? Uh, 26-year-old me. Well, those few years, they did become very consumed with my dad's illness, but also... Uh, I mean, 26, I was going out several times a week. I was single. Uh, yeah, I was single. Um, I loved going out. I'd be going to Ibiza, you know, every summer, that kind of thing. I, that was my life and work. Um, 
when my dad died, I really did feel, and I still feel this now, like the level, I, I felt um, robbed that my dad had gone at such a young age, 26, felt ridiculous. But then I just thought, my God, life is so short. I've got to live every single day. And I, like my life changed completely after that. And to this day, um, I would just do anything, any opportunity. I, I just wanted to be everywhere. I wanted to experience everything. I wanted to go and move to other cities. I wanted to just live my life so much to the full. It gave me a massive perspective on life and what was really important. And um, that's that's been with me ever since, to be quite honest. And I, I really appreciate very small things in life, very simple things. And... Um, the only thing that I, I, it held me back a little bit from relationships for a while because I just thought I don't want to get close to anyone. I don't need to be with anyone. I don't want to lose anyone again. I was quite happy. I was so happy single. Yeah, in my 30s, I met my now boyfriend and we're still together. That's 10 years this year. But yeah, the person I am now, not, I mean, I'm very different. I don't go out anymore. I like gardening and um, <laughs> buying bird tables and yes. going to garden centres <laughs> and stuff like that. I'm walking my dog. That's my life now. And I'm about to have a baby. And um, so it's, I'm very different, but I I, I feel very, uh, I feel like my dad's always with me. I think about him every day. I went to see his grave today, actually. Oh. And, uh, you know, now the, the, the difference to how you feel back then to now is, is so different because the one thing that really stood out for me is those first few years after my dad died, Every time I thought of him, it was a traumatic, I, I would think of him with the cancer and I would think of him ill and I'd have moments where, I'm sure you had this as well, you'd just be in the shower and you'd just uncontrollably start sobbing mm -hmm. and like it would hit you like a ton of bricks and you just, you were like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with myself. And it was, it, someone, I heard someone say once that the sort of trauma of a parent's death or anyone's death you relive that for, for at least a couple of years after. And then after about five years, your memories of them change. So now when I think of my dad, I don't think of him with cancer at all. I, just, I think of him at home in the garden. I think of him flying. I think of him saying something funny. I just think of my dad as my dad growing up. I don't think of the cancer years. So those, and that, uh, when I realised that, when someone pointed that out, I burst into tears because I thought, I don't think of him like that anymore when he was ill and... Um, you know, and, and that is such an important thing for people to know if you're going through grief in the first few years, you know, you'll still be, you'll be consumed by it. I think you are, aren't you? The first few years. And then 13 years later now, you know, me and mum popped to the grave this morning. We're just talking about the snowdrops she'd been planting around it. And I just go, all right, dad, how you doing? And we have a little chat and I'm not in tears and just, you know, that's, you just accept that's life. But I just always, I just feel like he's, I talk to him, you know, I feel like he's always there. I feel like he knows what's going on. I feel like he's watching. Like, it, it's it's just, it's just very different. But, um, yeah, it, it really shaped my life. When you found out you were pregnant, Amy, did you think about him in that moment? Have you thought about him more since being pregnant? I mean, you're, you're very close to giving birth now, right? Like, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're on the edge. <laughs> seven weeks. Seven Exciting. weeks away. Exciting. Yeah, I did. So I actually had a few struggles to conceive, um, a couple of losses, um, a couple of miscarriages, which is a different kind of grief. And um, but the weird thing is, is I used to 
I don't say I used to talk to my dad because that sounds really odd, but I did used to, yeah, not out loud, but I would kind of be like, oh, come on, dad, like help this happen for me. You know that, I don't know. So I feel like in my head, I don't know if this is just how I deal with it, but I like to think that he helped me get to this point somehow, um, whether he had a chat with God or whoever's mm-hmm. up there or something like that. But yeah, when I found out... Um, I mean, it's emotional anyway, but um, I've just been so excited and so happy that it actually happened. And I just, yeah, I I thought I would be very upset about him not being here and all that kind of stuff. But it's been so long. It's just, I think I get to a point now, and this is a really dark, awful thing to say. I worry more because my mum's getting a bit older uh, and she had a hospital scare before Christmas. I've been like worried. Oh God, I hope my mum's here to see my child grow up it's more I worry about that you know and um oh of course I would love it if my dad was here but I just feel like he sees it anyway I I don't know that's sort of just how I carry on but uh yeah it's definitely quite emotional to think about it but I just feel like yeah he'll he'll see it (laughs) he'll be there Hopefully not the birth, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, he might be sneaking red wine in, yeah. into the birth. But like, here you go, two can play that game. Yeah. Um, your nice you mentioned meal. that your mum and dad were kind of separated. Would you be able to offer any advice to anybody who's maybe recently lost a parent that wasn't with the other parent? Mm. Because that is quite, um, I imagine, can be quite a difficult situation to navigate as the child. Yeah. It really is. Um, I mean, like I say, my parents, it was quite complicated. I sort of forgot all that. But they, I think you've got to brace yourself that, you know, you're going to spend the whole time, you're so bereaved and they might have some residual anger or resentment. I mean, it depends how they split up, if they were on good terms. But I guess the people you need and what you realise, the you know, because I remember because I was single at the time and I said to my sister, I'm so, I wish I had someone because you've got your husband and you've all got partners. And she said, Amy, it doesn't make a difference. They don't understand. The only people that understand this are me, you and, and, and your brothers because even mum can't understand what we're going through because she had a different relationship. It's dad, you know, they had a complicated relationship in the end. The only people you can really, you know, if your parents are separated is hopefully if you've got siblings, they're the only people that really understand, you know, and, um, or, or, you know, anyone that's really close to, to the parent, I suppose. But it's it's hard. I think that's the one thing I would say is lean on your, your siblings as much as you can because the, the, everyone has such different relationships. Yeah, I think everybody puts a big expectation on the surviving parent to be able to provide that kind of Mm. emotional support when sometimes that actually isn't available. And the same goes for siblings. I've heard from a lot of people as well. You know, they haven't been able to get that from their siblings either. And I think that's where the power of like finding anybody who has experienced some sort of loss or grief can be really important because it can feel so isolating, can't it? Oh, yeah. Did you, Amy... In, in your career, um, you've obviously, well, you still are extremely successful and there's a lot of pressure that comes with what you do. Did you ever find yourself, did you ever feel lonely in it? Did you ever feel you had to put a mask on? You have to force escape? yourself. You're, yeah. In your industry, both of you, you know, you have to be positive people, don't you? When you're kind of on air, when you're doing this yeah. kind of broadcast, you have to exude that positivity. And there must be times when you wake up and you're just like, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all the time. I mean, when I did a breakfast show, and you know, it's mon- at the time Monday to Friday. It's up at four or whatever. And I mean, I'm not. I'm really not a very good morning person anyway. So aside. Um, yeah, it'd be hard. I actually found work. I've always found work a very good distraction. Like I can just turn up, and in a studio, I guess it's it's acting, isn't it? And I would just turn. I could just turn it on uh, because. And I think part of that comes from my dad. So, you know, just, you know, stiff up a lip, get on with it. And I did always find it a very good distraction. I still do, to be honest. But, yeah, I wouldn't say there were times I felt lonely. I I think, if anything, like, my career has always been, like I say, driven by my my dad. I've always felt, you know, he was, like I say, always so supportive, the first text. And he was always very career driven so anytime I've like won anything you know when we won awards and things like that I did always dedicate them to my dad because I do feel like that's where I got that from and I I love that and that's why I always feel like I'm embodying him a bit you know when anything happens like that through work or any kind of academia so it's uh no it works I do find it a a good distraction but yeah it can be hard sometimes Mm. when you just don't want to be enthusiastic but it is acting. <laughs> so true. I think one of the kind of final questions that I like to ask, which I think is always just kind of just always lovely to hear, is what piece of advice would you give anybody now in their kind of mid-20s whose parent has died from somebody that has now, you know, they're 13 years on and you can look at it from a different perspective? Just absolutely no. And I know everyone says that time is a healer. It is a healer, but also you know, you will just go through so many different, everyone used to say to me, different waves of grief and different emotions. And you just got to, you've got to just ride it out. When it first happened to me and I was in my 20s and I did feel very robbed of the fact that, you know, no one else was losing a parent at 26. It felt really unfair. And for a start, it's when I first started running. I don't do loads of running now, but I, that really helped mental health wise. I made sure I did lots of running. I really got into that. I used to have afternoons where I would just, because I'd do the breakfast show, I'd be finished at like midday. I'd sit in the garden and I'd just sit there for hours and I'd just stare. Or I started writing about it. Um, that really helped as well. There's lots of things you can do. And I, honestly, I can't tell you how um, amazing a podcast like this would have been because mm. I used to go online and Google, how sh- should I be feeling like this? Why am I feeling like this? Um when does this end, you know, mm. and I'd look at, and, and it was such crap information then, if I could sit and hear, you know, like you two, anything like this is so, so helpful if you're going through it, because you just, you do feel very alone, I lived on my own at the time, didn't have a partner, and there were times when I really struggled, actually, felt really lonely, and thought, I don't have anyone to talk to, and I didn't, you know, you think you want to tell your siblings, but you're like, well, they might be busy and having a nice day. I don't want to ruin it. I don't want to burden anyone. And it's very hard uh, to find to find someone like that, you know, and also get help. There's a, it, Sometimes it's better to speak to someone who is not in your family, who is outside of it. You know, it's a really difficult thing to deal with. Um, and the what other thing I would say is just know that, yeah, 13 years on, it's you you just learn to live with it I think about my dad every single day without fail he's just part of me I just feel like he's still with me and I think you don't lose that you just live with it and it it, yeah and don't forget that you do the trauma you think you're just going to relive that and and the day he died 
when I just spoke to you then about it, that's the first time I've relived it really for, for years. You know, it's um, it's just one of those things. And, and talk about it. Talk about it. Just finally, Amy, we want you to almost bring your dad to life for a minute. Tell us his name and your favourite memory of him. Ooh, uh, my dad's name was Neil Vos. And my favourite memory... I've got a couple actually, but we're, well, okay, I'll go with this one because it's quite funny. So when I was a teenager, uh, I booked my first girls trip, me and three of my best mates to Malia and Crease, mm, yes. classy. Go on the girls. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> two weeks, we went out every single night. How, How did, did we do that? We oh did it. God. Anyway, I did it, yeah. How, I know, can you imagine? Honestly, I cracked oh, my head open and had my head shaved on one holiday and still carried on. I look back now and I'm like, what was I thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> Honestly. Had your head shaved. I literally had my head shaved, went out with the bandages on, living my best life, <laughs> dancing my heart out the next day. It's a different breed. Yeah. Impressive. Yeah. I mean, we were rock stars then, weren't we? <laughs> so I was going, going on my first holiday to Malia and I booked it through this company that's not, it doesn't exist anymore. It's called Air Tours. And actually, it was the company my dad flew for at the time. And he said, right, when are these dates? And I told him, and he he basically scheduled himself to fly us on our holiday to Malia, which I was, you know, partly it was to keep an eye on me, but I was slightly mortified. But also, I was like, well, it's quite cool. It's quite nice to know, you know, my dad's flying. Safe hands. Crash, you know, so I used to be a bit scared of flying. Yeah, safe hands. Anyway, it was so funny. We got to the airport, like we, we were in the queue and this air stewardess came out saying, Amy Vose, Amy Vose. She was like, oh, you come with me. And we got like VIP treatment. We got on the flight. And when my dad did the announcement over the, t- you know, he had a classic captain's voice, you know, they've all got exactly the same voice, haven't they? Well, we'll be flying at 3,000 <laughs> whatever feet. Just did a weather in Malia is looking, whatever. And then he said, and on a personal note, and I thought, oh God, no, <laughs> dad, no. When, on a personal note, my daughter Amy is on board with her friends uh, on the first girls' oh. holiday to Malia, as your mum says. Have fun, but not too much fun. And I was like, <laughs> that is iconic. That's amazing. I was literally like dying in my seat, and my friends were like, Woo, that's us. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. You know, at the time, I was, I was kind of mortified, but now I look back and think that's quite unique, actually. So, yeah, I think that. And also, I love that you reminded me of him texting me every day. I think that's probably mm. one of my I love favorite it. memories as well. It's just so lovely. But, um, yeah, no, that's really nice. Thank you for reminding me of that. Neil <laughs> sounds like a pretty special guy, Amy. Thank you so much for sharing your memories. And thank you for imparting your wisdom and experience because it will help so many people. So thank you for joining us on the Dead Parent Club podcast. And best of luck, seven weeks. Woo! <laughs> Oh gosh, I know. Thank you so much for having me and and all my love to your dad as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Amy. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.